Good morning, College Park Church. I have um, the honor of bringing God's word to you this morning. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Hebrews 3. To Hebrews 3. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 19 this morning. It's Hebrews 3, 7 through 19. This is what it says. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, after World War I, a sailor uh, returned home and wrote a short story about one of his experiences that I find particularly interesting. Listen here to what he wrote. Two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patch fog, so the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing of the bridge reported, light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern? The captain called out. The lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant we were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. The captain then called to the signalman, Signal that ship, we are on a collision course. Advise you to change course 20 degrees. Back came a signal. I'm um, advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. Pulling rank, the captain said, I'm a captain. Change your course 20 degrees. I'm a seaman second class, came the reply. You had better change course 20 degrees. Now, a seaman second class is a lower rank than a captain. And by that time, the captain was furious. He spat out, I'm a battleship. Change your course 20 degrees. Back came the response. I'm a lighthouse. (laughs) Now, that simple story is often indicative of our lives, isn't it? We often think that we are set on the right trajectory only to find out that we've strayed. For instance, have you ever set out to complete a project in your home and never actually finished it? 
Like maybe you set out to paint several rooms of your home and you still have that one wall that hasn't been painted three months later. Or maybe while driving on a trip that you are so sure where you're supposed to turn that you actually miss the turn two miles back. I have to admit that my wife and I have had this kind of argument multiple times and I've had to eat my words. Or maybe you're a kid here this morning. Have you ever meant to listen to your mom when she told you to clean your room? Like you really meant to, but on the way you just got distracted and before you knew it, you were in trouble because you never got your room clean. You see, it's easy to get off course. But the scary part is the Bible gives us example after example of how this can happen in our spiritual lives as well. We can think we're on the right track. And in many ways, we can look like strong believers, but we can be drifting off course. Now, this can be something minor. For me, um, it's when I notice little things that are a sign that I'm drifting. One of those small things for me is if I run to food when I'm stressed. Now, maybe you can relate to this. That stressed feeling comes on and I decide to grab a Reese's. Those two little cups taste so good. That chocolate and peanut butter melts in your mouth and it almost melts the stress away. And so then the next day, that stress feeling hits again. And I remember just how good that Reese's tasted and how much it helped. And so I have another one. But before I know it, I'm eating five Reese's a day and all I have is a stomach ache and no real peace. When stress hits and God has little to do with my solution, it's a sign that I'm drifting. But the tragic thing is that drifting can happen at a major level as well. I'm sure most of us know someone who used to claim to be a believer, was active in the church, was someone you would have called a strong Christian and has now walked away from their faith. They started strong, but somewhere in the fog and the storms of life, they get off course. They think they're headed in the right direction, but they're headed right for a lighthouse. One of my closest friends in high school was someone who, I would say, loved the Lord. He was someone who would share his faith with anyone he would meet, and he was actually integral to my own salvation. And now he wants nothing to do with God. Over time, his heart became hardened to the truth of the gospel. But God is faithful, and he loves us. He gave us his word to teach us, to encourage us, and to warn us. And thus the Lord, in his kindness, gave us passages like Hebrews 3, 7 through 19. See, Hebrews was written to encourage a group of Christians who were tempted under a level of persecution and were tempted to return to Judaism rather than maintain their faith in Christ. Don Carson gives us insight about their persecution. He says, it appears they were tired of bearing the shame of living outside the mainstream of their cultural heritage. It's possible that fear was a contributing motivation the religion of the Jews was recognized by the Romans and accepted by the Romans, but Christianity was not. 
to return to the fold of Judaism might alleviate the threat of persecution by the state authorities. The constant threat of persecution was causing them to drift, and they were in danger of abandoning the gospel altogether. And this can be concerning if we know that these Christians in our story were in danger of hardening their hearts and walking away. And we can look around us and see those in our lives that have hardened their hearts and walked away from their faith. But what about us? Do we have any hope? Well, friends, our text today gives us that very answer. See, in the craziness of life, when we are tempted to harden our hearts and run from Jesus, when we think we're headed in the right direction, but could be drifting. Hebrews 3, 7 through 19 gives us three reminders to prevent a hardened heart. Three reminders to prevent a hardened heart. One, learn from the past. Two, persevere in the present. And three, remember the promise of the future. Learn from the past, persevere in the present, and remember the promise of the future. First, we need to learn from the past. Let's read verses 7 through 11 again. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now this text is a quotation of Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. And this section of the psalm would have been well known as a warning to not follow in the footsteps of the Israelites in the Exodus, to learn from their mistakes in the past. And what was their mistake? They hardened their hearts during their time in the wilderness. When tested, they continually began to stray. During a time in which they were overwhelmed in the desert, in which they should have remembered God's promises and trusted in him, they instead grumbled and hardened their hearts. Hebrews 3 here states in verse 8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. But Psalm 95 is a little more specific. It states, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. The names and places in the Bible have specific meaning. And Meribah and Massa are names that relate to how the Israelites responded to God. Meribah can be translated strife and Massa, quarrel. We see the exact story of this leading up to this naming in Exodus 15 through 17. Now I want you to picture this. The Israelites were in captivity, were enslaved by the Egyptians. And God shows his power through the plagues and saves them. But the Egyptians chase after them and corner them at the Red Sea. And when all hope seems lost, God comes in and performs another miracle, parting the Red Sea and allowing the Israelites to pass through and drowning the Egyptians. And so the Egyptians, or the Israelites, go to enter the wilderness, and they run into a problem. They have no water, and the only water that they can find is undrinkable. And so God performs another miracle and makes the water drinkable. 
And so then they head, continue in the wilderness, and they run into another problem. This time they have no food. And so they grumble against God. They grumble so much they say that it would be even better if they were still enslaved to the Egyptians because at least they would have food in their bellies. And in their grumbling, God again performs another miracle. And he rains bread from the sky, manna, literal bread from heaven to sustain them. And so the, Egyptian, or the Israelites continue on. And they run into another problem. Again, they have no water. And so what do they do? They grumble and complain again. And so God performs another miracle. Moses hits the rock with his staff and water comes pouring out for them to drink. But it's at this place that their grumbling has taken its toll. Because uh, Moses decides to name the place that they are at, Meribah and Massa. But it doesn't stop there. If you continue to read, you see the same thing over and over again. The Israelites run into, this problem, into a problem and grumble, and then run into another problem and grumble, and eventually God has have enough. Their grumbling is defining who they are. And our text today tells us what God does in verses 11 and 12. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The Israelites' hardened hearts continually led them to stray from the Lord, and God did not allow them to enter the promised land. Now, it's easy to look at these examples and think something like, wow, those Israelites were dumb. How could they possibly receive such obvious help and blessing from the Lord at every turn and every trouble, only to grumble again at the next trouble? If we had been there, we would not have done the same thing. Well, friends, we need to look in the mirror and realize that this is just not true. These were not some foolish people that we are just much better than. Listen to what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. But nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire the evil as they did. And then Paul hammers this home in verse 12, just a few verses later, when he says, Therefore, anyone who thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. What's the point that Paul is trying to make here? Well, here's the point. The Bible gives us the story of the Israelites in the wilderness so that we can learn from them and not make the same mistakes. They were God's people, but when life became overwhelming, they lost trust in God, hardened their hearts, and strayed. Now, this text naturally brings up the question of assurance of salvation. Doesn't God keep those he saves? Friends, Scripture does not hold these two ideas in tension. Hebrews itself speaks of both. 
The same book that gives us this warning not to harden your hearts also tells us in chapter 10, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Yes, we do have eternal assurance. Those who God has called, he will not let go. Our salvation depends on God alone. And it's not something you can work for and obtain, and thus not something you can lose. But the Bible also shows us that the mark of salvation is perseverance to the end. Running the race to completion. The parable of the sower shows us the many marks of those who have a false faith. Listen to what it says in the book of Matthew. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Each example of a seed here starts the same. They were spread. See, many will show initial signs of faith, but some will wither, wither and fade, but some will persevere. Only those who persevere until the end, truly really had faith. If you're a believer, trust that God holds you and keeps you, but don't be inactive. Don't view your confidence um, in, of your faith in such a way that you don't keep an eye out for a straying heart. Have you been angry with God in a way that has stopped you from running to him? Does your love seem to have diminished for Jesus over time? Does your faith seem flat this morning? Well, turn to Jesus and trust in him rather than grumble and turn from God as the Israelites did. Friends, we need to learn from the past. So three reminders to prevent a hardened heart. One, learn from the past. And two, persevere in the present. Persevere in the present. Look with me at verses 12 through 15. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. At the core of these verses is the present tense. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This present tense takes two forms, a literal today, as in the present moment right now in which you are living, and today is in this lifetime, because there will be a time when this life is over and you can't change. When it comes to our spiritual lives and an awareness of a hardening heart or spiritual drift, it's not natural for us to have this present focus and diligence. You may be even asking yourself this morning, how do I know if I'm on the right track? How do I know if I'm off track? 
Well, while not exhaustive, let me give you two ways that you can know you might be off track. Two ways you know you might be off track. One, your faith is a checklist. Sometimes we see our spiritual journey like a checklist. God checks the boxes that we decide he needs to check. Maybe you've trusted in Jesus to get you to heaven, but that is the only role that he really plays in your life. Thoughts about how you live and where you turn to in hard situations are not really connected to Jesus. This can be more subtle than that. Sometimes we segment the parts of our lives that Jesus speaks into. Maybe you look to God for help when you're sick or when you've lost your job, but not with your finances or your marriage or your spiritual growth. So one way you can know you might be off track is if your faith is a a checklist. Secondly, you can know you might be off track if your faith is all about a quick fix. You see, a checklist faith can be a sign of drifting, but sometimes we can have a sincere focus on Jesus, but the wrong perspective. When trouble hits, we want a quick fix. The error in this perspective is much more subtle than in checklist Christianity. In this perspective, we can tend to think that struggling is a bad thing thing that good Christians just don't do. And so we try to fix it and move on quickly. We can say something vague like, I know God is in control and that he has this. So I'm gonna put it out of my mind. Or God loves me, so everything is fine. Now these things sound great, but in reality, you're not giving the whole issue to God and are just pushing it out of your mind. In these situations, we are spiritualizing the idea that if we simply buck up, our problems will be resolved. But a quick fix that doesn't really face the hard situation and give it to Jesus can lead to bitterness, resentment, and anger toward God. Hard situations can tempt us to remove our faith from Jesus and put it into something or someone else. Now, maybe that's something simple like a Reese's. This is misplaced trust in an area where you've allowed something else to speak rather than Jesus. And if not careful, it won't stop there. Sin is deceitful and can lead to a hardened heart before we even know it. I watched my friend in high school begin to put his value and worth not in Jesus anymore, but in his friends and his relationships and in girls. And when those things failed him, he began to trust if God was for him and he grumbled against God and turned to other things for a quick fix like alcohol and drugs. And then when this failed, he began to question if God was even real. And today, he has completely left the faith. You see, a quick fix is actually no fix at all. One author says, when we realize our desire for the quick fix can tend to the wound, When we release our desire for the quick fix, we can tend to the wounds underneath the surface. Otherwise, we are going to just stay stuck. Friends, God is neither surprised nor dismayed at how slowly we progress or how often we mess up. God is neither surprised nor dismayed at how slowly we progress or how often we mess up. 
There is an understanding that as Christians, we live in the now and not yet. We live in a tension. It's the tension of living our lives as kingdom people, oriented around the life and teachings of our Jesus in a world that is not yet redeemed. It means that even though all things are made new, they are still in the process of being made new. He is not surprised that we are not perfect or are slow to change. He only desires that we continually turn to him. See, faithful Christians are not marked by the absence of struggle, but where they focus in the struggle. Alistair Begg puts it this way, a description of the lost is not that of earnest believers aware of their stumbling inconsistencies and buffeted by the experience of trials. A description of the lost is of those whose hearts over time have been hardened and whose consciences have been seared as a result of their willful disobedience and unbelief. So what does it look like to avoid a quick fix? What does it look like to not have checklist Christianity? How can we practice things that are gonna help us to not stray? Well, maybe it means you finally meet with a counselor to work through with Jesus those things that you just haven't been able to push through before. Or maybe it's examining the specific things going on in your life as you read the word each day, praying that God would allow his word to impact your realities. Or maybe it means meeting with a trusted friend to process your life and walk with Jesus on a regular basis. And as we seek to avoid a hardened heart and persevere, this brings us to another important message this text gives us. That we need each other. Verse 13 tells us to exhort one another every day. Friends, we need each other. We cannot live out our lives in isolation with no one else knowing us intimately. Let me say that again. We need each other. We cannot live our lives out in isolation with no one knowing us intimately. We all have blind spots and need others to look out for us. James 5.16 tells us, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is a major sense in which intentional life and conversation with other believers, confessing sin, praying for one another, and calling each other to repentance brings healing to our souls and keeps us from straying. One commentator puts it this way. The Christian community can help to safeguard its wavering members by pursuing daily mutual exhortation and encouragement. As the testing of faith's perseverance in a hostile setting continues, as does a believer's responsibility to speak words of faith to each other. Encouraging conversation is akin to physically resetting and supporting a dislocated limb or joint. Hear that last line again. Encouraging conversation is akin to physically resetting and supporting a dislocated limb or joint. Maybe another way that we could state this is that encouraging conversation helps us to change 20 degrees when needed. 
An intentional open and personal relationship with other believers on a regular basis can literally reset us and keep us heading in the right direction. It can keep us from heading toward a lighthouse. If you don't have this, let me encourage you to check out one of our Sunday classes or a small group or a Bible study. We have so many ways here at College Park where you can grow in this kind of life-giving relationship with one another. And so three reminders to prevent a hardened heart. One, learn from the past. Two, persevere in the present. And three, remember the promise of the future. Remember the promise of the future. So how do we persevere? Look again with me at verses 16 through 19. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. We persevere because we have an incredible future promise. See, these verses reinforce all that we've looked at already. It was those who had previously put their trust in God, but hardened their hearts, rebelled in sin, and did not persevere that were kept out of the promised land. But these verses aren't meant to just reinforce the previous verses. They tell of a promise made by God that we need to remember. And God's promise here is twofold. First, those that remain in sinful disobedience, harden their hearts toward him and live in rebellion, will not spend eternity with him in paradise. Romans 6.28 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Remembering that promise points us to the reality of those that harden their hearts toward God. But Romans 6.28 continues that the free gift of life or of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. If we trust in Jesus through all of life's hardships, if we persevere till the end, there is a glorious promise that we will experience the rest that can only be found in Christ. I want you to listen to the realities of this promise given to us in Revelation 21. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and he and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. What a promise. And so Hebrews 3 gives us three reminders to prevent a hardened heart that we need to remember. Learn from the past, persevere in the present, and remember the promise of the future. And as with the battleship in our story, in the ups and downs of life, be willing to examine your life and change your course 20 degrees when needed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning for your word.
We're thankful for warnings like we have here in Hebrews 3 to help remind us that we can stray, that it's easy to do so, and we need to be diligent. We need to focus on you in the hard, hard times of life. Lord, I pray for each person here that no matter what they're going through, that you would just encourage their hearts this morning, that you would draw them closer to you, that you would help them to see your face, and that instead of turning from you, that they would turn towards you. Lord, we pray that as we go this weekend that um, you would imprint what we've heard this morning on our hearts and Lord, help us to change when needed. We love you and in your name I pray, amen.